Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? Fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not go out and hand-check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcast through Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. They gonna love me for my ambition. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. Here's your host, Simo Buck. They gonna love me for my ambition. Hopefully you can hear me right now, episode in the studio, having some technical difficulties. We are here, though, in episode 98, and it is coming down to the wire between Oregon and St. Joe's. It has been back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and what a way to end out game number 48 on the weekend, as it is an unbelievable game here. St. Joe's down. Oregon up 66 to 62 with about 30 seconds to go. They're at a commercial timeout. We have Jonathan Wagner on the line. Jonathan, how is it going there, sir? Well, it's like a carbon copy of Friday night. You know, uh, just right. incredible games earlier in the day, and then these last three here to finish the night. It's just amazing. It's incredible stuff, man. It's just unbelievable. And uh, St. Joe still has a shot here. They're down four. They got the ball, 31.7 to go, and uh, desperately need a bucket and a stop right here, but we'll see how that goes. And as we sit here and, and promote the show and talk about talk about what's going on in the Hooper's log, obviously Andrew, Andrew will not be with us today. Uh, again, he's having some health problems once more, unfortunately, uh, but we do have Jonathan Wagner. We, we, we promise this will be a quick show. Let's just do some play-by-play real quick, shall we? Let's do it, Jonathan. Okay, so St. Joe's has got the ball. About 30 seconds to go here. Driving to the rack, and he makes the layup. And they are now down two. Timeout again. It is now – Jay St. Joe's is now down two with about 26.8 seconds to go in the ball game. And, and, and as we watch Texas A&M and you and I, which now looking at that ball game, the way that game ended – uh, I don't. I, I really. I really don't have. Uh, uh, you know. I don't think that any game is over with a minute left to go anymore. Uh, after <laughs> watching that one, that game was the equivalent of watching. Uh, that game was the equivalent of watching about two uh, two hail marys and two onside kicks in football <laughs> terms. It was. A, it was a miracle. I mean, down yeah. ten with thirty seconds to go. And you and I pretty much, if you watched the Yale, the first game of the tourney, Yale versus Baylor, if you remember that game, Baylor came back in a similar fashion, not quite finishing it out the way Texas A&M did against you and I. But how that game finished was eerily similar. The only difference was was Texas A&M found a way to eke one out in double overtime as they got a victory in that one over you and I. Again, it's just another unbelievable game. And like you said, a carbon copy of Friday. Uh, the final score in that one, we're not going to go in chronological order today. That game was crazy. Texas A&M winning 92-80 to in double overtime over you and I. Just an unbelievable game. And it looks like St. Joe's and Oregon are getting back at it. But what was your take on that game real quick before this game gets get back? I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, we've seen teams melt down, but that was just at another level. I mean, you're up. A dozen with 37 seconds to go as Oregon uh, gets set to inbound the ball here, 26.8 to go. St. Joe's probably going to go for the steal here, and then if they can't get it, uh, try and get a foul. They're pressing into full court here. Um, like see if Oregon can get across. Uh, St. Joe's pronounced pretty quickly, 23.5, so Oregon will go to the line. Um, they're actually only in the bonus, so this should be a one-and-one, one, not a, not two shots. So uh, some pressure oh, yeah. free throws here up too. But, Unbelievable. You're up a dozen with 37 seconds to go. Five turnovers in the last 37 seconds. What was incredible about that was Texas A&M was held by Northern Iowa to 22 points in the first half. 
Northern Iowa allows 14 in the last 37 seconds of regulation to blow yeah. a 12-point lead, and then they lose it in double overtime. Just unbelievable stuff. Um, five turnovers, they just couldn't handle the trap. I mean, they, they looked like an inexperienced high school team panicking yeah. uh, down the stretch instead of a D1 college team in an NCAA tournament. It was just unbelievable. From one of the mid-major programs that's normally composed, that's how they got to this point, as Oregon yes. makes the first and misses the second here. St. Joe's has a chance. Here we go. 20 seconds here to go. go. Oh, man, we're here uh, on the radio. We time for a quick two. They don't necessarily have to get the three. They're looking for the three, and now they're going to turn it over. Like too, much to too much dribbling. Too much dribbling at the top of the arc. Oh. Just too much dribbling. Did not move oh, the ball. So got himself caught. And uh, so turnover oh. and uh, foul by St. Joe's. Looks like someone got knocked out. Looks like someone yeah. got knocked out. I think Uh-oh. Dorsey got hit in the head there as, it, as they, uh, they went for the ball. Uh, might have banged heads a yeah. little bit. Well, actually, oh, somebody came over over the top. Oh, like a football play. <laughs> came over Uh-oh. the top, diving on the pile like it was a fumble in football. Some live I mean, action here on episode 98 of the Hooper's Log. That's got to uh, be a foul right there. I mean, uh, it could be a flagrant there. It's got to be a flagrant, yeah. I mean, that's a little bit uncalled for there. It was after the play. Oregon had already secured yeah. possession. And St. Yeah, Joe's we'll playing, diving on top of the pile to, to, and hitting Dorsey in the top of the head. So, and we'll, um, see, we'll see what happens there with that one. You'll see here. If that's Oregon. flagrant, the game's over probably because Oregon yeah. had only 9.2 to go, up three. He's going to have free throws and the it's ball at like that it. point. So. Uh, but, yeah, like I mean. It is looking like a. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're, they're probably going to go to the monitor here and check this one out. But, yeah, I mean, he already had, I don't know if the, it was already called. It actually didn't look like a foul. It looked like a tie-up. So maybe that's why he was going after it. But, I mean, you go for the ball there. You don't dive on top of the player's head, right? I mean, it's, yeah, that's pretty much what it looked like. It looked like I think his first reaction was a check foul. It out. He just wanted to get in there. It looked but, uh, like the initial way that, call, though, was not a foul before. It looked like it might have been a tie-up on the floor because both players on the floor diving for the ball, and they had both of them had their hands on it. And actually they did. Talk yeah, I saw the one ref. He signaled a tie-up. He signaled a jump ball. And Yeah. I believe the arrow possession arrow is with Oregon anyway. So, yeah, Oregon so even would if there's a possession tie-up, anyway, it like Oregon will get it back. Yeah, exactly. But if it they call, like they call the flagrant back. foul here with diving over the top like that, football style, then that's 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 a bad bad play by St. Joe's in this situation. But yeah, yeah I mean, getting back to the UNI game, it was just unbelievable stuff. I mean, it, that was the definition of March Madness. This, this appearance in this tournament for for UNI. To to win a game that, the way they wanted on Friday night with the half court buzzer beater, and then to lose the way they lost two days later, you're up a dozen with 37 seconds left, and and you just completely melt down, and you lose in double overtime. But you know what? Give Texas A&M credit. Everyone's going to be talking about the meltdown for Northern Iowa, right. but give Texas A&M some credit because to trap like that the way they did and to force the turnovers, yeah, you need some help from the offense to completely. Uh, lose their composure, lose their poise, and help you out. But it's it's harder than it looks to trap like that without fouling, and that's exactly what yeah. A&M did. And a lot of teams in that situation, you're down 12 points, 37 seconds ago, your season's on the line, and even, even with that situation, a lot of teams would would kind of pack it in at that point. You know, they might give sort of, sort of a half-hearted effort, try and trap, and then foul. And You know, Texas right. A&M never gave up. You have to give them credit for playing until the final whistle because that's, that's part of it. Yeah, you and I melted down horribly, but part of what makes it happen and, and makes makes the comeback complete and forces the overtime is that Texas A&M just kept playing. They kept playing until they were told that the game wasn't over, anymore, until the game was over. And because they did, the game wasn't over until they went to double overtime and actually won it. So uh, two free throws by Oregon. Now here's the three from the right corner. No good. And looks like, uh, like Oregon's going to hang on. So the Ducks hang on 69-64. So interesting because what we thought here in this first weekend with all the top number one, top five teams, I think it was 36 or 37 going down this season, and and the, the number one teams, I think it was seven this year uh, losing – I know it was at least six. I'm pretty sure it was seven. Um, with all those teams losing in the regular season, everyone said, well, the number one, no way number four number ones advance. Right. And uh, to, to the uh, 
to the Sweet 16, and sure enough, here we are. Even with Middle Tennessee State knocking off the team that everyone thought should have been a number one in Michigan State, um, the four number ones do survive and get to the Sweet 16. So got an interesting bracket for the Sweet 16 because we do have the four number one teams, oh, and yet geez. at the same time, yeah. we got a whole bunch of crooked numbers up there as well. It's a bunch of craziness like March Madness should be. Like you said, we still have the homegrown names. I mean, we'll get to some of them here in just a moment, but like we just said, Oregon finishing out over St. Joe's 69-64. Kevin Hart's a little bit late to the party. We'll get him in here. Hey, Kevin Hart, let's start it off for us while we get episode 98 underway. All right, all right, all right. We're going to learn today. Let's just go in order. Let's just go in order of the days of the day and what happened. Iowa got destroyed by Villanova early on. Villanova showed up. They ate their they ate, ate their Wheaties this morning, winning eighty seven to sixty eight, getting it done. Big time victory there. But obviously the game after I think was one of the games of the day. Uh, Notre Dame getting a big time tip in near the buzzer. This is how it sounded on CBS as the game came down to the final stretches. Switch. Jackson off the glass. August, no, tip. Plenty of time to get a shot off, though, here, Burns. And they got the ball. And Stephen F. Austin got the ball with about a a second left. Couldn't quite get it up. They they couldn't quite get the ball game in. But Notre Dame getting the victory at the last second, 76-75. Jonathan, what did you see from these early on games? Obviously, Villanova, Iowa. What did you see between Notre Dame and SF Austin? That made it such a classic there. In that one. Yeah, I mean that was just that was just a classic game. I mean, for a while it was back and forth, uh, in first half, second half. You know, it really great tense moments, great plays, great shots. Um, kind of different style for Stephen F. Austin. I mean, they won with yeah. defense completely locking down West Virginia. They shot really poorly against West Virginia, and just won with with defense and turning them over a lot and taking care of the ball, and not turning it over much themselves. And this is a little different. You know, they showed that they could play a different way. They, they, this was a more of an offensive game from their standpoint. Uh, they struggled defensively this time. That's why they gave up the 76 points to Notre Dame. But this time they did shoot the ball pretty well and and certainly shot it well in the second half particularly and, uh, and looked like they had it pretty much in control going down the stretch late in the second half, but um, eventually, you know, it's March Madness, man. You know, Rex, Rex Fluger, guy has 70 points, uh, I believe, yeah. in, his, in, his, in his career right as a freshman, and the last two happened to be a tip-in to send Notre Dame to the Sweet 16. So, you know, yeah. that's an interesting bracket, too, now, because now you got a six and a seven where a lot of people thought, you know, it might be a, a two and a three. So, um, you know, on one side you have the one and five in the east, and the other side you have the six and seven. So uh, pretty much the south is, I guess, is the only one that's that's pretty much close to chalk, you know, with the five in there. But, you know, we'll get to all that. But this is this is a fantastic game. Um, is is, is Probably, I mean, other than the Northern Iowa Melda, it's probably the, the most well-played game of the day. I'd say it's probably still the best game of the day. Maybe not the most exciting. It was exciting, but not the most incredible yeah, ending, yeah. only because only because the unexpected nature of what happened with with Northern Iowa and, and Texas A&M. But this was still very exciting down the stretch. And uh, something about that basket, I guess, at that end at the Barclays Center, because Iowa won on a, on a game winner. Uh, and, uh, you know, in their game against Temple, and then uh, Notre Dame wins in the same basket uh, with with about uh, 1.5 to go. I think uh, I think it was about around the same time that the shot was taken too, uh, before the buzzer beater with Iowa too. So uh, something about that end of the court there at the Barclays Center. But uh, um, Notre Dame gets it done. Um, you know, just such a fine line because you know <laughs> if that tip doesn't go. We're talking about the great Cinderella run of Stephen F. Austin uh, going to the the Sweet 16 as a 14 seed. But because they get the tip, it's Notre Dame going and uh, just just unbelievable stuff. And, uh, you know, the excitement continues. You know, again, something about this Friday-Sunday slate. You know, we we were talking about it last night. We said, well, it wasn't that exciting yesterday on Saturday. You know, there were some good games, but nothing real surprising for the most part. Uh, But, you know, we were saying, well, the way the madness happened and, and shook out on Friday, those teams that advanced that were involved in that, you know, because they're playing again on Sunday, you figured that it could happen again, and sure enough, it did. Because you, you look at you know a team like Stephen F. Austin that had the upset. Well, now they were part of that on Sunday. Um, you and I, who had the half court buzzer beater on Friday, they were part of that again on on, on Sunday. Not yeah. not the way they wanted it to be, but it, it, it happened again. You know, same teams that were involved. A lot of the same teams that moved on and advanced in crazy ways on Friday were involved in all that type of madness again today. 
You know, other games that happened today, like you said, I think Stephen F. Austin Notre Dame was the best played game, but VCU and Oklahoma was another outstanding one. Oklahoma winning 85-81, VCU finding ways to keep it close. Syracuse dominated over Middle Tennessee. I mean, look, this was a close game at half, but Syracuse found a way to pull pull up and just their 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 uh, their press their two three zone just absolutely dominated on Middle Tennessee, winning seventy five fifty. Middle Ten just did not have what it took to compete in that one. Maryland also dominated Hawaii again. Hawaii kept it close early, and then Maryland found a way to pull away. I mean, obviously the theory of two bad uh, well, one half is good from from uh, uh, the, the point guard at Mello Trimble of Maryland, and then he had a decent half in the second half. He actually played a pretty consistent one in this one against Maryland. But that was another big game there. And then obviously we'll get to the we'll, we'll get to the finish of the night in a moment. But what was your take on those three three middle games of the day there, uh, Jonathan, with VC Oklahoma, Middle Ten, Syracuse, and Hawaii, Maryland? It looked for a while that VCU was going to pull that one out. Um, you know, they were very yeah. they got off to a bad start. They're down 21 to seven, and then give give uh, Will Wade some credit. You know, he was in the huddle. He was yeah. really getting into his players in the huddle, and uh, they came out as soon as. As soon as they came out of that timeout, they started attacking the hoop. They attacked it three times. They got a fast break dunk. They forced a couple turnovers where they were diving on the floor for loose balls, really getting after it. Totally different uh, intensity and effort from them. All of a sudden, went on an 8-0 run, got right back in the game. And, uh, you know, they, they locked down Buddy Hill, too, in the first half. He, he started one for six from three, didn't really do much. It was kind of contained him. But as great players do, and we saw from Buddy Hill, who, who might be the player of the year this year, um, yeah, he uh, he just took over. I mean, there was a stretch. Unbelievable. Yeah, second half he just he, when he he just put Oklahoma on his back, and sometimes that's what it takes. We see in these tournament games, it's either guard play or it's a guy in any position that can just take the team, take the game over, take control of, of the game over himself, and and he did that. Give VCU credit, man. I mean, to 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 do what they did. Yes. Upset Oregon State, not much of an upset, but look, they were the lower seed and they beat them and they they played well and then got that one out. And then to 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 take Oklahoma, who's a, a strong Final Four candidate, um, as yes. a two seed in the West, um, it, definitely a team that that could get by Oregon. We saw Oregon just struggle with St. Joe's today, so definitely a team that could get by them if they could get by Texas A&M first or Duke if they end up playing them. So we'll see how that goes first. But, but you know, Oklahoma's Final Four capable, and VCU took them pretty much right to the wire, only lose by 4-85-81. So good job by them out of the 10 seed uh, for, for them. Uh, the other two games that, that you mentioned, um, the Maryland game, uh, that, that was that was Maryland kind of showing, you know, we, we've talked about them where they're so talented, but then you scratch your head and you say, well, why do they have so many losses if they're so talented, you know? Um, right. You know, with the high preseason ranking and early season ranking, and they fell because they just had too many losses that you wouldn't expect. And you're like, well, they have so much talent. They're kind of letting, kind of squandering it, letting it go to waste. You saw both sides of them. Early on, you saw Hawaii, the the kind of Cinderella run that they've been on, beating Cal, playing well, and then and then giving Maryland all they can handle. And it looked like they were in good shape. They're up 39-36 in, in the second half. And then all of a sudden, Maryland just turned it on and said, okay, we're here to play now. <laughs> and then their talent took over. Yeah. They went on a big run, took control of that game, and eventually they went it by 13. Uh, as you said, you know, Tremble uh, kind of – we were saying, as Andrew said last night on the show, you know, gives the one good half and then not so good in the second half. That's kind of been his M.O. But as you said, he was a little more consistent over both halves tonight, and that was a big factor for Maryland. And uh, they they did what they had to do and, and put Hawaii away. And I thought at the defensive end they really locked Hawaii down because Hawaii down the stretch yes. when they really needed a bucket they couldn't get one for about six or seven minutes and that's where, really really where the game turned because Maryland was able to get offense off of their defense and just pull away at that point. And then the the one thing you know that I was talking about yesterday in that Syracuse Middle Tennessee State game, I thought Middle Tennessee State. If if they could play, you know, the way they could, fast and loose and kind of, you know, just take threes and get out and run and transition and that sort of thing, again, the way they did against Michigan State, they'd be fine. And I and I also, you know, pointed to the, the 14 missed uh, dunks and layups that Dayton had against Syracuse as a reason why Syracuse, you know, that, that win over Dayton might have been a little bit of fool's gold. But the one thing I did say was, that two-three zone, and that's the equalizer. That's a great equalizer for Syracuse against any team right now. Yes, is it, 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 you saw how much it bothered Middle Tennessee State from the open from the get-go. They're trying to run what they ran in the half court against Michigan State, and it, Syracuse just wasn't having it. They they just looked flustered. Right. They looked confused. 
they they fell behind and and we talked about the the, the fast starts for these teams. You know, we saw Middle Tennessee State they get off to the 15-2 lead on Michigan State, right, hitting their first six shots. Today they start two yes. for 11, and that zone had a lot to do with it. And they fall behind mm-hmm. 22-10, and eventually they did tie the game. And and everyone thought, yes. okay, well they're back in the game. How much did that start hurt? It does hurt because you expend so much energy trying to get back from 22-10 to only to tie it, that by the time you do that, Syracuse goes on a run, you don't have enough energy to counter that again a second time because you spent so much yeah. energy trying to dig out of that 22-10 hole early. If you're a 15 seed and you're a Cinderella seed, even going against a 10 instead of a, a higher seed like you should, um, you have to play from in front. You can't fall behind early and you can't you can't go uphill because that's that's where we saw with FGCU when they went to the final four. I'm not final four when they went to the Sweet 16. Sorry, uh, yeah, yeah, as a 15 yeah. seed, the only team ever to do it a few years ago. They did it because they jumped on Georgetown. They jumped on in the second round. They they did the same thing. They they played from in front and they played loose and 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 they were able to just play without pressure and they were able to get to the Sweet 16 that way. Middle Tennessee State did that the first game against Michigan State. Today was the opposite. They couldn't get out to a lead and then play from in front. When you're playing from behind and then you're trying to hit shots against that tough 2-3 zone where they're trying to – everything, every pass they made around the perimeter, they just look confused. They look like we don't, we don't know where we can find an open space on the floor where we could get a good look the way we did against Michigan State. That's exactly what, what happened to them. And then once, once they tied it up, eventually Syracuse made a run, and they, they just didn't have enough left after that, and Syracuse just pulled away. So um, they're going to play Gonzaga, and that's going to be an interesting matchup because somebody with a double-digit seed is going to go to the Elite Eight. And we just talked about we just talked about these games, and we just talked about Notre Dame and Stephen F. Austin, and how great that game was today. We just talked about how thrilling you and I in Texas A&M was, but I think we all know that the, the finish of the night was from Wisconsin when Wisconsin beat Xavier 66-63. Here's how it finished in that one. Here we go. Two to go. Trip to the Sweet 16. Katie's got it. Rises up. The shot. And it's good. It's good. Wisconsin has won it. Basically, all you need to know is he grabbed the ball from the from the far right side of the court, faded away from three. Swish goes, and and I'm telling you, I mean, it was goosebumps from there on out. I mean, we talk about the Stephen F. Excuse me, we talk about the Northern Iowa winning uh, winner the other night. That was kind of a fluky, magical moment. This was also a magical moment from the perspective of look, the guy was fading away, guy in his face, Brandon Koning, the biggest shot of his life biggest shot in Wisconsin history is they move on to the Sweet 16, beating Xavier, and they scored more than 50 points, shocking enough, winning 66-63 over the number two seed in that bracket. Unbelievable game there. What did you see from this one? I watched the second half. It was back and forth. Unbelievable game. Back and forth. Wisconsin had the lead at one point big. Xavier, back and forth. Lead changes. What did you see from this one that helped uh, secure the win for Wisconsin, outside of, obviously, the game winner, which we just heard here? on the show. What what was your big take from this one for Wisconsin victory? Well, you got to look at the play right before it that set up the game winner for, for one thing. Um, you know, there's a hashtag. I don't know if you've seen it on, on Twitter called charbage. And uh, it basically refers <laughs> yes. to any charge call. That's complete garbage, <laughs> you know, because yeah. this was a questionable call and uh, it, it looked like he wasn't set. I don't know. Maybe it should have been a no call. If anything, maybe a block in that situation didn't really seem too much. It looked like a flop. I would have just called a no call, let him play on. And uh, they called the charge on Xavier. Uh, Tough, tough call. And it sets up the game winner. Look, he still had to hit the shot. And Xavier, you know, even before that, Xavier, they're still up 63-60. And Wisconsin still had to hit a three to tie it. They still had to. Even with the call, they still had to then hit, hit the three coming out of the timeout in the corner right in front of the Wisconsin bench to win it. Uh, but, look, they won the game, and uh, they took advantage of the opportunity, but it's a tough call. It's a tough way to lose for, for uh, Xavier with the help of some charbage. <laughs> but uh, the thing with yeah. Wisconsin, when this one, though, you know, their offense was, was much better than it was against Pittsburgh. You knew they were going to play the Absolutely. See, a lot of people in this game, you know, two versus seven, and maybe people saw – Xavier is a fairly strong two, and Wisconsin is yes. a weak seven. And uh, for that reason, maybe people thought Xavier was going to have an easy, easy, fairly easy time with uh, with Wisconsin. But 
you know, Wisconsin's defense, it travels. It's like, it's like Virginia, you know, it, it's yes. like a lot of other teams that we see, they, they, which, like Wichita State, even though ultimately that didn't work out for them against Miami uh, because they started so slowly. Uh, but I, I think, you know, when you play a defense that travels, you're always in every game. So I figured because of that, their their defense would keep them in the game no matter what happened in, in that game. Uh, but the thing that was impressive about them was, I mean, they won almost solely with defense against Pittsburgh. It was one of the lowest-scoring NCAA yeah. tournament games we've ever seen, 47-43. Yeah. Today they gave up 63, which isn't a lot, but it's not at the level that obviously was against Pittsburgh, anything close to that. Right. Uh, and it was enough, it looked like, for Xavier to eke out a close win. But the impressive thing about Wisconsin is, and sometimes they're a little bit underrated in the NCAA tournament with this, is, is their offense. You know, and they're always known as a, yeah. as a even under Bo Ryan, even past past you know in the past regime, uh, they're always known as a as a tough defenses or defensive oriented program. They still pretty much are, but but their offense sometimes in the NCAA tournament can be a bit underrated. And and today I think we we saw that, um, you know, especially with 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 Bronson Koenig, you know, two points against Pittsburgh, who's only one for eight. Uh, 20 points against Xavier today, six for 15, six of 12 from three. <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, there's a big difference, and it, that was the factor. You know, if they had to get it, they had to get it from somewhere, and they got it from him. You know, like night and day for him against Pittsburgh versus uh, Xavier, who's a pretty good defensive team in their own right. And um, that was the difference, I think. You know, yeah, they got the help from the call, and, and yeah, their defense was solid, but ultimately it was their offense, maybe a little yes. bit more than you would have expected, especially coming off that Pittsburgh game, which which carried them to this win, especially at the end having to hit the game-winning shot because you had to ultimately finally make a shot at the other end. It wasn't defense was going to win it for you. You still had to put the ball in the basket, and that's exactly what they did. And they they got the they got a huge win, and another buzzer beater in this in this tournament. Unbelievable. You got to give credit to that Wisconsin program as well from the standpoint of last year with obviously uh, guys that they had Sam Decker and uh, Frank Comiskey, those two guys who are quality, you know, potential NBA players down the road who were in the tournament last year getting to the national championship back-to-back years of at least making the Sweet 16. Pretty fascinating, incredible stuff there. And we just heard the final, obviously, here. You heard it here on the show, 69-64, Oregon got a done over St. Joe's. Anything you want to say about that game before we talk about the Elite Eight, or excuse me, the Sweet 16 coming up for next week? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just I had actually uh, St. Joe's in my bracket. I, I almost had it. <laughs> I thought they were going to win that one. Uh, yeah. Just because I, I didn't believe it. When the brackets came out and I saw that Oregon was a one, I said, well, that's kind of crazy because Michigan State deserved to be a one. And I still feel right. that way, even though they lost to, to Middle Tennessee State. I still feel that Michigan State, mm-hmm. over, with their body of work over the season, deserved to be the one over Oregon. And uh, and also we saw what the Pac-12 did in this tournament. The Pac-12 has really had a pretty one bad. Yeah, aside from aside from Oregon, they've they've had a bad tournament with all the other teams pretty much that, that have been in it. Um, so I you know I didn't really expect much from Oregon or from the Pac-12, and um, I, I felt that St. Joe's you know if there if there was a you know if I was looking for a, for a one seed to go down you know I was looking at maybe Butler over Virginia. And, something like that, or maybe St. Joe's over Oregon, which would probably be uh, more of a chance. And it uh, looked like they're in good shape. They're up 58-51, I believe, late in the second half. And uh, give Oregon credit, though. You know, they're down seven. Yeah. All the pressure's on the one seed in that situation. You know, the eight seed got their win over the nine seed in, in, in a game that could go either way. And then, you know, they're playing the one seed. Nobody would give uh, – uh, St. Joe's any criticism if they lost a close game the way they did to Oregon. But if you're Oregon, you're the one seed, and you lose to an eight seed, all the pressure is on you. So when you're down seven in a game like that, late, if, if to find a way to make plays, and they did at both ends of the floor, they made tough shots, good shots at the end of the game, and, and to make enough defensive stops at the other end of the floor to pull out a tough game like that. And they finally did stop St. Joe's because St. Joe's was heating up down the middle of the second half and, and toward, the, toward the stretch toward the end of that game. Oregon finally buckled down defensively and made the stops they needed to make, and that's what one seeds need to do. Is you know sometimes you kind of need these games if you're a one seed and if you're going right. to go all the way to the final four, go to a championship game. Sometimes you need that early scare, and that might be what uh, what Oregon had today against St. Joe's. Well, my apologies. Maybe the Pac-12 didn't go one and six, but they went three and six overall. Utah getting a victory in the first round, but they lost to Gonzaga big time last night. And then Oregon has won two games in the tournament to get to the Sweet 16. But I mean, that's kind of what I expected coming into the pack, coming into the tournament, or uh, the, for for the Pac-12 to get to get seven teams in, 
still blows my mind, but they still had a couple of good showings by Oregon and Utah. Those are your games from tonight. Uh, previewing the Sweet 16, uh, obviously, look, uh, looking at all of these matchups, I'm just going to break them down. They are not, not far, not, not too much, just going to give you who we got. Thursday, the first games uh, on Thursday, Miami and Villanova. Look, unbelievable matchup, unbelievable matchup. By the way, the ACC is absolutely dominated in this, uh, in this field. They have, they have uh, Miami. Duke, yeah, 12 Virginia, and twelve and one in the tournament this and this this uh, this year. It's just incredible. Miami and Villanova is an amazing matchup. I mean, you throw out the seedings. Realistically, if you throw out the seedings to all these games, these are some of the best games you'll see all year long. And it's not even funny. Like it's not even close. Miami Villanova is an unbelievable matchup. Texas A and M Oklahoma, unbelievable matchup. Maryland Kansas, that is that is a preseason top five matchup. Uh, Duke and Oregon. Look, Oregon wasn't ranked before the season, but they're a formidable opponent, and Duke obviously at one point in time was inconsistent throughout the year, but they've proven that they've gotten better, and Oregon obviously being a one seed proved that they got better. So that's just an unbelievable day of basketball on Thursday. And then Friday, you've got one of the top ten teams talent-wise in the nation in Iowa State playing a really tough Virginia team. And then you got a matchup that looks better in a football in a football matchup with Wisconsin and Notre Dame, but you got it in the Sweet 16 and two teams that have really different contrasting styles, but that's going to be a fun one to watch. And then Gonzaga and Syracuse, the Cinderella story for one of those teams will continue uh, after Friday going into the Elite Eight. And then Indiana and North Carolina, oh my God, you talk about two blue blood, just original rivalry game right there. I mean, these, this Elite Eight, look, it couldn't have happened any better for the committee and, and how it all ended up, even with all the craziness that happened over these last four days, this, this has been, this is an unbelievable elite eight that is set up, or excuse me, sweet 16 that is set up for Thursday and Friday. What's your take on this, Jonathan? Well, if you look at the bracket, you see everything's pretty much in order on the left side, up and down the bracket. Everything's crazy on the right side. Well, not everything, but that's where some of the craziness lies because if you look on the left side in the South, you have almost, exclusively chalk. You got the top three seeds and the only other seed in there instead of the four seed. Uh, you have Maryland as the five seed sneaking in there instead of Cal. And then in the West, uh, that's actually the only bracket where the top four seeds are, are still intact. You have uh, now, mind you, an 11 could have easily been in there and probably should have been in there. Right. But you ultimately yeah. do have the top. And you could have actually, well, you know, it was a fine line. You could have actually had an 11 and an 8 in there. But ultimately, St. Joe's <laughs> and Northern Iowa don't get it done. So you have the top four seeds. you got Oregon and Duke and Texas A&M, Oklahoma. The right side, um, you got Carolina in there, as you said. <laughs> but Notre Dame and Wisconsin, that's where the craziness happens, 6 and 7. And then, of course, yeah. if you go even further down in the Midwest, uh Virginia, Iowa State, you know, that's as it should be, but then complete chaos with Gonzaga and Syracuse. Um, you know, I like Gonzaga right now. I think I just love the way they're playing right now. They're, they're, to me, they've been one of the best teams in the tournament. I think if you look at how the teams have played um, over these first these first two rounds, I think you have to like the way Kansas has played for the most part. You know, they had yeah, a little bit yeah. of trouble holding on to that lead against against UConn, let them back in the game a little bit, but nothing too serious. They pretty much were still in control after they opened up a huge lead, um, and they completely dominated Austin P. So you have to like the way Kansas has played. you got to like the way North Carolina has played. They've played well. Um, I think Indiana's played pretty well, although they, they – you know, they had a tough draw against Kentucky, although they did play well, but I think they're kind of on that next tier. But um, I think Kansas, North Carolina, Villanova, surprisingly, and Gonzaga. To me, those four teams have played probably the best ball of anybody in this tournament yeah. um, to this point. Um, and those are the teams probably to watch because, you know, it, it can change, especially with matchups as matchups get different as you head into the, to the second weekend of the tournament. But if you have to pick four teams that have played, that doesn't necessarily mean those are the four teams that I think are, are, right. are going to win and, and go to an Elite Eight or a Final Four. Uh, but I think those four teams, for the most part, and obviously you know Kansas and Villanova in the same bracket anyway, but uh, yeah. it wouldn't shock me if those two ended up. This could finally be the year that Villanova is legit. They finally got back to the Sweet 16 for the first time in seven years uh, this year. And to me, they've played great ball. I, that's something I did not expect today, that first half against Iowa. Um, that was probably maybe the best first half they've played all season. I think even uh, 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 Jay Wright 
after the game was over, went over to Fran McCaffrey of Iowa, and he said, he kind of went over to him, uh, from what I heard, and said, look, I'm sorry. He almost apologized for his team's <laughs> performance, which was kind of funny. He's like, he goes, I'm sorry, but we haven't played a first half like that all season, or, in the le- or at least in a long time this season. And uh, they were just completely dominant, you know, shooting the three. They were up by 34 early in the second half and just coasted. They were very, very impressive this weekend, uh, the way that they played um, in, in taking care of UNC Asheville by 30 and then and then getting up 34 in Iowa before coasting to an easy win there. So that's something to keep an eye on. That's going to be an interesting matchup because for them, it really does come down to the three ball. Um, can they make threes? And, you know, and for Miami, it's pretty much that two-man game, Angel Rodriguez and McClellan. If those two guys are on, it's going to be tough for for Villanova, but Ochefko in the middle is another factor for Villanova. That's going to be an interesting game to watch. Um, I still like Kansas over Maryland. It depends which Maryland shows up. We saw both Marylands in today's game, you know, like I was mentioning right. before. If it's the good Maryland, the, the Maryland that has all the talent that puts it all together, uh, they can give Kansas a run. But Kansas is still obviously the clear favorite in the tournament as well as in that game. Uh, over in the West, uh, you get the same story as for, as for Duke as it is for Villanova. Can they knock down the three? Can Grayson Allen be hot from three and others be hot from three the way they were you know, at the start and building that big lead against Yale? Um, and, and can Oregon with, with Brooks, uh, can they get in the lane and, and, and hit from three as well, get out and transition and run? Uh, that's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, you know, we know what we're going to get from Oklahoma. Buddy Hill's going to carry them. Uh, they live and die by the three also a lot. You know, they weren't hitting the three early on in, against VCU. The thing about Oklahoma, though, that was impressive with them, they still got out to a comfortable lead in that first half, even with Buddy Hield going one of six from three early before he eventually carried them in the, in the second half. That's a great sign for the Sooners because when they're not yeah. hitting the three ball and when Buddy Hield is cold, you don't expect Oklahoma to play well and you don't expect them to win. But they still were able to build a big lead before VCU eventually came back and got back into that game. Yes. So that's a good sign. If the Sooners can do that until Buddy Hield can – so if Buddy Hield's cold or other guys are cold from three uh, early on, if they can stabilize the game or even take a lead like they did against VCU today without, without that until he can take over the game later on, like they did today, that's a good sign for them. And I'm going to be very, very interested to see how does Texas A&M respond to this. You know, we 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 were talking mm-hmm. about it last yeah. night, previewing the well, game today. Three days off, so <laughs> yeah, that, so that will help them. But but we were previewing the game today, last night, saying, well, how does Northern Iowa respond? You hit a half court buzzer beater to win it, right? How did they respond yeah. off of that? You know, because you could go two ways. You could either. Yeah be high off of that and go into the game with, you know, with high emotions and everything, or you could kind of have a letdown. They obviously clearly didn't have a letdown. They just had a meltdown. No, they were the better team. They were the yeah, better for, team for, for about 40, for 39 and a half minutes. They were a yeah. better team. But, uh, so, so how does Texas A&M, because clearly this is a game that you don't expect to win, and then you win it. No. Do you come off of that, you know, with, with, you know, high emotion and, and high energy and everything off of that and say, okay, we shouldn't be here, but we're here, so let's play loose and let's roll the dice and see how we do against Oklahoma. Or do you have a letdown? Because, you know, that's the other way it could go is you have an incredibly emotional, draining win like that, and then and then, the, and then you come in and, you know, you could have a letdown off of a game like that. But like you said, the thing for them is you don't have the two-day turnaround. You have a few days to, to think about it and prepare for Oklahoma. I think that's going to help with avoiding a letdown off of that. And then uh, over on the other side of the bracket, you know, we talked about Syracuse and Gonzaga. Virginia-Iowa State is going to be an interesting game because you have really big contrast in styles. Virginia is going to want to kind of slow that game down, slow pace, you know, defensive grind-out type of game, kind of kind of a similar game the way they did against – the way they won against Butler. They want to play that game, keep it in the 60s if they can. Iowa State's going to want to play it in the 80s, even the 90s if they can. They're going to want to get up and down and run and, and play at a much faster pace. So – uh, it, it, the thing with that for Virginia, it, it's usually much easier to slow a team down than it is to speed a team up. So that's going to be an interesting – that's yeah. where the edge lies with Virginia from that point, from that standpoint. But we'll see if Iowa State's capable of doing that. And then in the east, you know, like you said, North Carolina and Indiana. I know North Carolina is going to be a heavy favorite in this one, but like we were saying so far in the past couple of shows this, this weekend, Indiana's Final Four capable, you know, especially Very if they can knock down the yes. three. The way their offense goes, you know, if they can shoot a high percentage like they have often this year and they, they can get their offense that fluid 
that fluid offense where everybody's involved, a lot of passes, a lot of motion without the ball, and if they can knock down shots, get open looks against Carolina, uh, Carolina's beatable. Um, so uh, we'll see how that one goes. And then Notre Dame-Wisconsin, don't really know what to expect from that one from either side, um, but we'll see how that one goes. That should be an interesting matchup. Um, uh, you know, I think defense for Wisconsin is an edge in that one because they're, they're, the, they're the better defensive team. So if they can knock down shots again, you know, Koning again, like we said, you know, going from two points in the first game against to 20 points today was a big factor from them. If they could get that from him or from somebody else offensively, I think their defense is probably enough to carry them past Notre Dame, but we'll see how that one goes. We do have we do have Andrew Norris is in the building. He's here in the SeatGeek studios. Andrew, how are you feeling, buddy? Are you doing okay? I um I am feeling like crap. Uh, I was in such March Madness got to you, it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it sure did. I was in such bad pain that um, I actually had to have my girlfriend help me walk to the shower and then basically carry me inside of my house because we drove from her house to my house. Um, You sound like like the University of Northern Iowa. (laughs) Yeah, that was, I watched that and I wanted to cry. I really wanted to cry while I watched that. Um, but I am I'm all more cleaned out, so I'm feeling a little bit better. But I just wanted to call in and say, you guys are doing a great show. You guys are doing a great job. Just wanted to say uh, I'm hoping uh, to be on tomorrow. I know I'll still be in here, but maybe I can, uh, you know, call in since I won't be doing anything as long as I'm not getting any tests done yeah. or, you know, maybe in uh, random emergency surgery or anything like that. Um, right. You guys are doing a fantastic job. Just want to let you guys know I'm listening and keep going. All right, cool. Awesome. Well, we'll put you back on hold, all right, buddy? All right, man. All right, sounds good. Yeah, we'll put that Andrew back on. This is what, I, okay, and, and, and obviously prayers go out to Andrew and his family, uh, uh, him and his health, not a big there. Um, but back to the point that, that, uh, that Jonathan made, um, about all these games. Look, in the South bracket, as it was mentioned, Maryland and Kansas, Miami and, and, and Villanova, this is the perfect storm for really anything could happen. We mentioned it here. Maryland is kind of a team that is up in the air with what could happen. Kansas, clearly the best team in the country, but it doesn't really mean much as of now. As obviously, uh, as, as, as Maryland and Kansas were top five teams prior to the, 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 the season starting, and there will be comparisons to that game being one of the bigger games of the year, just based upon preseason hype alone. And then obviously Miami and Villanova, all out of the ACC pundits are going to be like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, Miami and them. But no, I think Villanova is a legit shot of dominating that one. But who knows, honestly, that bracket is up in the air for me when it comes to overall talent. And like you said, all chalk in uh, the West bracket with uh, Texas and Oklahoma look. Like you said, Texas, for them to respond against UNI or the NIU the way they played, uh, I think Texas A&M is lucky from the standpoint of uh, NIU had to come off of a two-day uh, you know, high when it came to their emotions, um, and they had to respond back in a couple of days playing the number three team in their bracket, which is brutal. Uh, obviously, Texas A&M played uh, just gritty, gutty basketball in the final 30 seconds and obviously the final 10 minutes of the double overtime game but they're lucky enough to get three days off in between at a minimum uh, to go into the uh, Sweet 16 game against Oklahoma. And like you said, Oklahoma overall, in my opinion, in this bracket, looks like the strongest team. As we just said, Oregon struggled against St. Joe's, and, 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 and they haven't looked like a very powerful number one team, and then they come in and face Duke. Look, if Duke comes out and plays their game, and they play a strong game, I don't see how you can, I don't see how Duke loses this game against Oregon, especially if Oregon can't play the way they did against St. Joe's. If they play the way against St. Joe's, they're going to win, and it's going to be looking like Oklahoma and Duke coming out of that one. As I, I, I predicted that to happen. It could be the case, and it looks like that most likely will be the case, but you never know. Again, as the attorney has showed us, do not put your chickens before you know the egg. Do not do that. Uh, do not put the egg before the chicken. Uh, Iowa State and Virginia is going to be an outstanding game. Gonzaga, Syracuse, obviously that's going to be the Cinderella story for the next three days in the world of uh, the sports when it comes to the, 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 the headlines and the, the sporting world and the media. Uh, I think Gonzaga is obviously playing the better basketball. We just mentioned it. You just mentioned it. Uh, they destroyed Seton Hall. They destroyed Utah. Uh, they're looking really, really good. And then they have three days to prepare for that zone. I think that they prepare for that zone and play the way we think they can. They should destroy uh, Syracuse. 
Uh, but don't don't sleep on Syracuse in that zone. If they can get if they can get Gonzaga off their game early and they can play their defense the way they want, who knows? They could get they could find themselves in the Elite Eight before we know it. Iowa State and Virginia is going to be a fun one. Look, Iowa State's got all the talent in the world to compete with Virginia, and Virginia is a dominant team by themselves. But I think Iowa State is ultimately going to be the team to pull it out. They've got three days to rest. They've got time to, to prepare for Virginia and what they do. But again, Virginia's number one for a reason. They're a top ten team in the in, in the NCAA tournament for a reason. Uh, they're, they're just that good of a team. That's going to be one of those games to watch for, and it's going to be an unbelievable. All these games are really, truly unbelievable matchups. There's no really bad game to watch. Wisconsin-Notre Dame, I think they're kind of the outlier because, honestly, like we just mentioned, Indiana, North Carolina, both those teams, I think whoever wins that game, in my opinion, I think whoever wins that game, and this is, this is a strong statement, but I think whoever wins that game is going to find themselves in the national title game. And here's the reason why. Indiana looked so good against Kentucky. They looked so good in the first round. I mean, I mean, they looked unbelievable against Chattanooga and Kentucky, and the way they finished, and the and the poise they showed, the confidence, the way they the way they the way everything runs by them is so consistent, confident. It's scary. And and, and University of North Carolina, in my opinion, obviously, you know, the Midwest bracket is all up in the air and crazy. But Wisconsin Notre Dame, they just don't seem to have that firepower to face up against Indiana or North Carolina. You never know; it could happen. But getting this deep in the bracket, when you start to see the better teams, they start to prevail. And Indiana and North Carolina on that right side of the bracket. I mean, when you just kind of take away the seedings and just look at it from a raw perspective, I really don't see how any of these other teams really face up against these two teams because these two programs have really just dominated all year long in their respective conferences. And they're playing up against one another in a game that realistically could be a Final Four matchup if it would have matched up correctly. This is a big-time game between Indiana and North Carolina. I would say watch that one. Obviously, Maryland and Kansas is also a giant one. And the rest of them will figure themselves out. But that is probably my, my, my Sweet 16 game to watch is Indiana and North Carolina. Jonathan Wagner, is there anything else you want to say before we head on out of here? It's been a long, long weekend. I don't know about you. But this weekend has felt like three weeks, uh, the last couple <laughs> of weeks with conference play, and I'm sure with you covering the Colonial and a couple other things in the world of basketball and everything going on, these last two, three weeks have felt like two months. It has been insane. Like, the All-Star break in the NBA feels like nine years ago, and it was only a month ago. Well, think about that. The All-Star game was <laughs> only a month ago. It feels like it was two, couple, three, four, five years ago. It feels like forever <laughs> ago. I mean, it is insane. Huh? How are you holding up? And uh, anything else you want to say before we get on out of here? Well, yeah, just a couple of things. Well, first of all, you know, I, I do want to send uh, well wishes to uh, to Andrew, and I hope he's, you know, okay and on the mend soon, and and hope he gets back with us, uh, you know, very soon. So, uh, so uh, you know, heal up and feel better, Andrew, and uh, we we hope you're back with us very soon. Uh, and then, just like as you said, just to echo your thoughts, um, I I can see, I I I fully agree. I don't think that's that's a statement that's crazy at all, you know, to uh to say that the winner of the Carolina Indiana game will find itself uh uh in the in the national title game because if you look at what's on that complete right side of the bracket, both the East uh and the Midwest, um uh I, I agree. I mean the winner of that game I would expect to beat the winner of Notre Dame, Wisconsin. Um and, you know, Virginia Virginia they're an interesting team because they don't do anything pretty, <laughs> you know, but they they find yeah. ways to win. They're just a they're just a winning team this year, winning program this year, winning program in recent years. Um, although they're still searching for that Final Four that, that that's been elusive for them the last several years, even though they've been a strong program. Um, this could be the year now with the one seed. But so you never can, you never can count them out, especially this year as a one seed. But I, I would think I would agree that whoever comes out of the Midwest. Um, so first of all, whoever wins between North Carolina and Indiana will get out of the East, and then whoever, uh, and then the winner of that who gets out of the East between those two uh, should be able to beat whoever comes out of the Midwest. I would think in the Final Four. Although if it's in if it's Indiana though, and if it's either Iowa State or Gonzaga, uh, that would be a very interesting yeah. Final Four matchup. Just just in terms yeah. of a, a style. Well, even North Carolina too, because they're they're. They're pretty fun to watch too with their style, but especially Indiana, the way they can play offense and and the way they can hit the three and 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 just just their just the way they share the ball and the way they play offensively. Uh, Gonzaga has some of that too, the way that they play and the way Iowa State has with their athletes, the way they like to get up and down and run and, and hit threes yeah. and uh, the way that they play with a lot of energy and offense. Um, just 
from a style standpoint, I think Indiana, if it is them, and if, if, it's, if, if it's ultimately a match between Indiana and Iowa State, uh, I know a lot of people may not like that to see a five and a four in the final four, but style-wise, I think it would be very entertaining. Uh-huh. And I think oh, it would be a God, great game. Man. Or even if it's Gonzaga or Indiana, in Indiana, I think that would be, you know, style-wise would, would be pretty interesting and pretty fun to watch. Um, so that, that's just something to keep an eye on on the right side of the bracket. And on the left, you know, I think it's, you know, a lot to watch. But I think, you know, we've talked about just now just Virginia. Is it their year finally after waiting so long and being so good for so many years? Is it Villanova's year? You know, that's the thing we've is on the other side too. And wouldn't it be interesting too if ultimately it was Villanova against Virginia for a national title? I don't expect that at this point right now with who's left. <laughs> but ultimately, if that's if that's what it comes down to, you have two programs that have been pretty strong programs for for years now, but have had trouble getting past, you know, Virginia gets a break now because last couple of years they got knocked out by Michigan State each time. Uh, Villanova has always had good teams in recent years, but they could never get over the hump and as evidenced by them finally getting to the Sweet 16 now for the first time in seven years. So if you, those two eventually meet up in the finals, that's going to be the storyline. It's going to be two programs that have been really solid and really good for years, but they could never have success that they wanted to have recently in this tournament. And for them to meet in the finals would be kind of interesting from that standpoint. But so many storylines, so many different possibilities that we could have. That's what makes this tournament so great. And, uh, you know, with what we've seen already, uh, who knows what's going to happen here in the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. I'm sure we're going to talk about it next weekend, and, and I'm sure there's going to be more surprises. It's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be. Uh, I, I just from the from a from a matchup perspective, it's gonna be great basketball. I know a lot of people are like, oh well, we got a lot of upsets and a lot of this and a lot of that, so it doesn't make for quality television. Are you nuts? These these matchups coming up in these in this Sweet Sixteen are unbelievable. I mean, they are all loaded and, and, and great. I mean, from multiple perspectives, and they're gonna be great matchups and fun matchups. Expect some close classic games like you saw tonight like you saw Friday night, like you saw a couple of games on Thursday, and like you saw a couple of games last night, like Indiana and, uh, and Kentucky was uh, on Saturday. So uh, we're out of here. we got about a minute left on the show. Episode 98 was today. There is no episode for Monday. None. We are taking a break. We are vetoing a show. We need to take a break because if we don't, we will explode with basketball, and we need to take a break. So no show for Monday, March, uh, March 21st. We will be back on Tuesday, March 22nd, 2016, at our normal time at 12 p.m. Eastern time and uh, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, episode 99 on Tuesday. We'll be back for episode 100 on Wednesday, the same time, same place. And uh, we'll be back at our normal time. We will do weekend shows next week. We will get it all done, and it will all figure itself out. For Jonathan and obviously a sick Andrew, we're out of here. Uh, we will see you on Tuesday. Jonathan, it was good talking with you during the tournament, man. Get some rest and get back to your day job because I need to get back to it too. <laughs> <laughs> you too, man. Have a good one. Absolutely. Have a good one, everybody. Hey, enjoy yourself and get some rest and get locked and loaded for the Elite Eight coming up here in a couple of days. Thank you, everybody. Have a good one.